Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the introduction and uh, invitation to speak with you today about my World War II experiences. It's an honor for me just to be here. I have here with me a dozen or so of my books, my story. They're free it's for the taking. I didn't bring enough. I didn't know how many people would be here. And the last time I was here, I was telling uh, about being on a forced march, and I was starving. And uh, we were the Germans were trying to make us hurry to get keep away from the Third Army. I spotted a German guard on a bicycle with a loaf of black bread. I was starving. I was weak. I traded my Unicorn County High School class ring for that loaf of bread. And when I came to speak to here a few years ago, um, Vic asked me, did I ever get my ring back? I told him no. He said, you're going to get one, and he got me one. And it's out there in the, in the best of you. I was afraid to come today because he was afraid, to, I was afraid he'd want to trade back. <laughs> but first, I would like to tell you what I am and what I am not. I'm a 94-year-old Army Air Corps veteran of World War II. I'm a deacon in Love's Chapel Christian Church. I'm a teetotaler. I do not use alcohol, drugs, or tobacco. I take regular exercise every morning. I read the Bible every day. I try to live by the golden rule to do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. I am the commander of the East Tennessee chapter of the American Ex-Prisoners of War. And now I'll tell you what I am not. I am no hero. I am only one of 19 million Americans who volunteered for the war during World War II. I went where they told me to go, and I did what they told me to do. And we took on not one, but two of the greatest militaries of might that's ever been in Japan and Germany. But I say I am no hero. I have never done anything that I could brag about. But I can certainly brag about all the things that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has done for me. But I ask for neither sympathy nor praise. And the story I will tell you is true. On a calm and peaceful Sunday morning, December the 7th, 1941, without provocation or uh, without provocation or warning, the Japanese attacked our uh, military base in, in um, uh, in Hawaii, in Pearl Harbor, killing almost 3,000 young Americans, sinking a lot of our ships. We sank. We, we declared war on Japan. And Germany declared war on America. I had just graduated from Unicorn County High School class ring. And I joined the Army Air Corps. 
And after my training, I was, after my training, I was assigned to the 8th Air Force, flying combat missions out of England. And uh, I was assigned to a 10-man crew, and we took, we put 100 hours on the B-17G, flew it overseas. We went to Ireland, Iceland, and England. And on the 27th day of May, 71 years ago, I was awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning to get ready to go on a bombing mission, my fourth. It was raining and foggy, and I boarded a, a covered GI truck and headed for the mess hall. We had powdered eggs, gravy, and biscuits, coffee. I remembered very well what we had because it was going to be almost a year before I'd have another set-down meal. From there, I went to briefing, and we had prayer by three different chaplains, Protestant, Hebrew, and Hebrew, uh, and Catholic. And they told us that we were going to bomb oil refineries and railroad marshalling yards deep inside Germany. And they said, some of you will not come back. We, we, we took off and climbed to 27,000 feet, crossed the English Channel, headed for the target. When we approached the occupied shores of France, we began to encounter heavy artillery fire from German fire. I saw three B-17s right close to me catch fire, go down in flames. I tried to count the parachutes, hoping I could count ten, but most of the time it was only a small number. We've, we've, I, I was a, uh, one of my duties was to put out chaff. It's like icicles that's on a Christmas tree, strips of uh, tinfoil, to destroy the uh, enemy radar. <clears throat> I was putting some of that all the way. Then after a while, we were attacked by a heavy group of ME-109s, German fighters. We were attacked from uh, 12 o'clock high. They shot two of our right engines out, and the Jewish navigator got three 303s in his shoulder and died later on. The co-pilot got a 20 millimeter through his arm and one through his leg. We shot the oxygen system out, and then we, we finally run the fighters off and flew over another artillery battery. We had, to, we had to come down from 27,000 feet to 16,000 feet because we had no oxygen. They'd shot the oxygen system out. And then we flew over another artillery battery, and I was putting out chaff, and I ran out of chaff. And I stood up, and we were marketed by uh, flak, big puffs of black smoke. We got two direct hits in a bomb bay and a right wing very close to me. It knocked me unconscious. A piece of shrapnel struck me on the right side of the neck and it caused much pain. When I woke up, I was laying on the floor. The bell was ringing. I looked through the small window in the right 
and I could see all the metal on the right wing was blown away, exposing two gasoline tanks, and they were on fire. And we were told that about 20 seconds is about all you've got before they explode when they catch fire. But I had some jobs to do. I had to destroy the radio, which pushed two, two buttons simultaneously, and it ran a surge of electricity through and burnt the radio up. I had the flimsy, which is a secret code, which changed every day. I was responsible for it. It was encased in something like cellophane that was highly inflammable. I took my cigarette lighter and burned it up. Then I, my, when I, we got hit, I turned the airplane over, tuning units and everything went all over the place. My parachute was under some of those planes and I dug it out and finally found put it on. Then I tied my GI shoes to my belt which I was instructed to do in case we had to bail out that we would have uh, some shoes to walk in. And th then I uh, put them on and ran through the fuselage back to the door. When I got back there, there was two of the gunners standing looking at the flames coming out. It was, we'd never bailed out before and we didn't know a whole lot about it. But they was hesitant about jump pumping and I put it, nudged them a little bit and they didn't respond. So I'd played football a little bit for Unicor County High School, so I backed up on that and I took a run and go, and we all three went out together. <laughs> and uh, I looked at, at the, I, I, I noticed we'd been shooting and yelling. We had 1350 caliber machine guns on that plane, and we had an interphone that we could talk to each other and tell about what, where the enemy was. And I, um, I, I took my, I, I, I noticed, I, I, when I bailed out and opened my parachute, I, I noticed how quiet it was. It was deathly quiet. The plane flew off and left us, and I was hanging just up there. I, clo I looked at my watch, and it was 1.30 in the afternoon. We'd been in combat for seven and a half hours. We flew a zigzag course all that time trying to stay away from where we knew German artillery batteries were. And I closed my eyes and thanked God that I was still alive. Well, I had never bailed out before, but I'd seen them in the movies how they bail out and fall softly on the ground. But that's not the way it is. <laughs> we had a small shoot and well, I would look at the ground every little bit, and it didn't seem like I was falling very much, but after a while, I was looking for some parachutes so I could try to make my way to, in that direction. So I wanted, to, I wanted to be with some of my crew. And I looked down, and here come the dirt, here come the earth. It was coming up fast. And I just relaxed and bounced like a rubber ball, I guess. And, uh, and, but it didn't hurt me. And I was taking my parachute off, getting ready to hide it so I could make my way. And I heard a voice behind me say in a, in a uh, tone that I'd never heard before and I, of course, couldn't understand. And I didn't know if it was a French or German, so I continued to take my parachute off and I heard the mechanism on a rifle. I knew what he was talking about then. So I raised my hands in, 
in re, uh, surrender because I had no uh, no weapon. He came over and wanted to know if I was English, if I was Americano. I told him no. And, I, and he said Americano. I said yes. <clears throat> he searched me and took my dog tags, my fountain pen, and my watch. I had the Unicorn County High School class ring on my finger. I turned it around inside, put it in my pocket, and uh, they didn't. They must not have noticed it because they didn't take it. So then that one got on one arm and one on the other, and another one was behind me gouging me with a rifle. We ran down a little hill into a small town, and the town was had a red brick, red, red brick street. Both sides of the street was lined with uh, civilians and enemies, uh, yelling insults at me. They were calling loof gangster and swine and shaking sticks at me. And I noticed one big German standing in the middle of the street with his hands on his hips, glaring at me in contempt, and I knew that he meant trouble. But the guards pushed me right up to him. I tried to steer him away, but they pulled me back. They were, they were trying to hold me so he could, he could beat me up. And when it got right up close to us, it was hot, the sun was shining, I had on an electric suit, it was hot. And the, this German guard, he began to try to hit me. And the only thing I could do was to keep the man, keep myself off balance and keep him off balance. And I was a jerking the guards one way and then back the other, and in and out, up and on, and he was a trying to hold me still, and I wasn't cooperating with him. But anyway, uh, he, didn't, he didn't get very many licks on me, and finally uh, they got him off of me or he gave out or something left. And they took us and put us in a place like something like uh, the uh, townhouse, and they had all my crew there, and they were all stripped off naked. They was trying to find out how many men was on the crew, nine or ten. But we wouldn't tell them. Then we heard a shot outside, and uh, the guards ran out and uh, came back and we put our clothes on, and they come out there, and uh, Larry Oberstein, my navigator, he was Jewish. We tried to get him to change his dog tags. His dog tags had an H on it for Hebrew. We tried to get him to change it because we all knew what Hitler was doing to Jews, but he wouldn't change it. And anyway, they pitched him up on the truck. I've got a copy of the, of the picture that, was, that the, the guards... Uh, the people that made the uh, shot us down, the Hitler Youth, it was up on top of a mountain about eight miles up a gravel road. And they took that picture, and it took me 55 years to get that picture, and that's another story. But anyway, then they took us from there back down off the hill to a, 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 a low-cut building out in a field by itself. And we opened the door, and they opened the tra a trap door and pushed us down in there put me in a small cell, about three foot square, with a wooden bench, a glass of stale water, and two pieces of black bread. I hadn't eaten anything since uh, early that morning, four o'clock or so, and I was weak and hungry. I took a bite of that black bread and it tasted awful. Had a wooden bench to sit on and a bucket for a toilet, and I took my back my neck was hurting. I thought, well, I knew that America would win the war, but I didn't know how many years or how long it might take. So I 
and I knew that my mother was going to really, really receive a telegram saying that I was missing in action. And I didn't want, I, I dreaded that. I thought I was raised in a Christian church. And I remembered reading in the Bible that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And he, he will never put on you more than you can bear. And he never did. I prayed every day. Jesus Christ was with me all the way. Uh, we went from there. I don't know how long I was in the dungeon. But the, when the, the, the guards put us in the dungeon, they had a lantern. And when they took the lantern out, it was dark. I mean dark. And that's when I took stock of myself. Then I think it was the next day or the day after that they come and got us and took us out and put us back on the truck. A German officer told me that Larry Oberstein had died. They put us on the truck and took us to a, a place called Dulagluf at Frankfurt. Dulagluf is an interrogation center for downed airmen. I went in and this little German had on a white shirt and a little bow tie and he says, for you the war's over. And he, he offered me a cigarette, which I refused. And he gave me a, a sheet of paper about like this. The top of it said International Red Cross. The top line said, name, rank, and serial number, fill in the blank. Had about 40 other fill in the blank. Who, who is my commanding officer? And where did I take training? And how many men on the crew? And so such like that. So I feel the... First, first line out, name, rank, and serial number, hand the sheet back to him. And he laughed and he said, well, this is for the International Red Cross. And your folks at home thinks you're dead, and the sooner you fill this out, the sooner we'll let them know. So you go ahead and fill that out. I said, no, sir. I filled out all I'm going to fill out. He said, well, fill out this one down here. It was a question, what shot you down, flak or fighters? And I said, no, sir, I can't fill that out. He said, I'm instructing you to fill that out. I said, mister, if you want that filled out, you're going to have to fill it out yourself. And he said, get out of here. And I, I, I got out of there. Then they took me there and put me on a train and went to Stalingrad 4. That's where I met the Urban Nine. There's nine of us kids that went to grammar school together, grew up together, played together, and all joined the Army Air Corps. And all nine got shot down at different times, different missions, different places. Germany had over 50 prison camps. We all wound up in the same prison camp. I was there eight months. And the first group, we had guard towers on every corner. We had uh, guards with dogs, and they enjoyed seeking them on you. I had them seeked on me, and it's not any fun. Anyway, they uh, they uh, took me there, and I met the first Irwin Nine. I saw a group. I was walking around the compound, and I saw it coming up this dusty road. It was a group of Americans with the Germans uh, hitting them with chains and seeking dogs on them. There's three of the Irwin Nine in that group, and. Um, I found out later that the reason why they were beating them, they was uh, 
in a, in a prison called Heidekru across the Baltic Sea, and the Russians broke across the Baltic Sea. The Germans asked them if they would uh, agree not to try to escape, they'd let them keep their shoes. So they they wouldn't agree to that. And they, they was all barefooted when they was running up the road. Then they put me in a, in a room with uh, 26 men. Had one table for four chairs. Had a bunk bed with no mattress, no cover, no pillow. And it was very crowded, to say the least. In the morning, about 10 o'clock, one of the men in the, in the, out of the 26 would take a bucket and go down to the milk, to the cook shack and bring it back full of uh, soup. We called it Green Death. It wasn't hot, it wasn't cold. It was green. And it had some stuff in it you didn't want to see. If you was going to eat it. Well, I didn't eat much of it. I was going to wait till dinner time. Dinner time never came. Supper didn't come either. It was that way. One meal for about six or eight weeks. We got weak and everything. But I walked around the compound. Uh, but the first, I, 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 when I opened my parachute, my strings broke. I lost my shoes. They took me to see some uh, uh, Catholic nuns, and they gave me a pair, a pair of wonderful black English leather shoes that, that, that uh, worked awful well for me. And he gave me a pair of wool breeches, one shirt. I had a electric uh, coveralls because of the altitude being so cold. And uh, they gave me a sweater. And then they put me on a train. Now, those clothes, I never had them off. We would stall over the floor. We didn't have any bath facilities. Had one little spigot out in the middle of the compound where we could stand in line a while and get a sip of water. We had no um, doctors or anything like that. Then the first group came in and says the invasion had started. June the 6th, 1944. Said, we'll be home for Christmas. Well, I knew it was just a rumor, but I hung on to it pretty tight. And um, I was there eight months. And if, for Christmas, uh, nine days, I believe it was before Christmas, the Germans began, as the Belgian bulge had started. We all know what that is today. They could, the Germans were bringing a lot of uh, prisoners in that were wounded, crippled. And the Germans was crowing. They was telling us we're now winning the war and America is being bombed and New York City is devastated. I didn't know whether to believe that or not. I didn't much believe it, but I didn't believe all the prisoners that they was bringing in that was crippled and shot. Went on and finally Christmas came. We sang Christmas carols. We sang Silent Night. And I'd remembered a song that was written by a Union prisoner of war during the Great Civil War. The name of that song was Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. And the words were, Tramp, 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 
the boys are marching. Cheer up, comrades, they will come. And beneath the starry flag, we will breathe air again in the free land of our own beloved home. In my present cell I sit, thanking Mother dear of you in our bright and happy home so far away. And the tears, they filled my eyes spite of all that I could do. Though I try to cheer my comrades and be gay. I believe it was Christmas is over. And I believe it was the first week of February we began to hear heavy artillery and bombs in the far off distance. The Germans began to hustle here and yonder. We knew something big was coming on, but we didn't know what. They lined us up one morning and marched us back down the road to uh, the railroad. And they put, a, put us in uh, 40 by 8 boxcars. A 40 by 8 boxcar is made for 40 men or 8 horses. They put 72 men in each car. We didn't have any water or any food. We had one bucket for a toilet for 72 men. We were in that several days. The train was not marked. It didn't have any Red Cross markings on it. And Americans bombed it and strafed it several times. And we, we could feel the ground shaking. But uh, I guess the Lord was with us and we, we never got a direct hit. We was on the train for several days and finally come to stop and they, they give us one drink of water, one cup of water for each person. They had a Gatlin gun that stuck in the door of the car so that we tried to escape, they'd shoot us. And I had one drink of water during that whole time. We finally went to, uh, stopped again, we went to Nuremberg, and we marched us up the road to a prison camp. This prison camp was old. Old barracks had been painted all brown and painted all peeled off. And had rat holes in the bottom, and rats would come out had straw in the bunk beds that was contaminated with body lice and fleas. We got contaminated with those, and that was some more misery. And like I said, I never had my clothes off, and you can imagine I never had a bath. It was a terrible ordeal. Finally, one day, one day we could hear the, some artillery in the opposite direction. It was General Patton's Third Army coming. He'd crossed the Rhine River. And the Germans uh, told us to get ready to march out. And they had about, I guess, maybe 75 or 100 of us prisoners. And we was uh, we had a German, Captain Wolf was in charge of us. And he told us, he said, if you see any airplanes in the sky, they'll be Americans. Because Germany doesn't have any anymore. If you'll promise to come back, we'll let you disperse during our raid. So we agreed to that. And we were seven hours out of Nuremberg when we were strafed by seven P-47 American fighter planes. And I ran about a half a mile through a patch of woods that wasn't much higher in my head looking for a stump or something. I'd get behind the bullets was a flying. And I gave out and stopped and rested a while. Then I came back 
to uh, to the camp, and we marched all day. And I was weak from hunger, and I noticed this German guard on a, riding a bicycle, and he had a loaf of black bread tied around his shoulder. I trained him in the County High School classroom for that loaf of bread. Best best trade I ever made. And it, I shared it with my buddies. We ate it while I was marching. And we went on, marched till dark. And when, when dark come, it was raining. They marched us over in a, in a field in the woods. And there we spent the night. We didn't have any shelter or any food. And we had three. Oh, when the... When the, the uh, we got strafed. We had three American colonels with us. And they called, every, when we come back, they called everyone up, says, anyone have a white T-shirt or white towel? Bring it up. And we brought it up, and they made the letters on the, in the field, A-A-F-P-O-W, Army Air Force Prisoner of War. Well, we sat down on the side of the road and waited for those fighter planes to come back. After a while, they came back, and we at first didn't think they saw us. They just went on. And about 10 minutes, here they come, treetop level. They turned flips and those and everything, and we knew that they knew who we were. And I knew, we knew that when you, when you complete a mission, you're, you're interrogated by the intelligence, American intelligence, and they would tell who we were, what we were. So we went on, walked up the mountains several days, spent two or three nights in a barn. But the, the Germans, uh, they told us, says, in the morning when they get ready to, the Germans get ready to move you out, kill as much time as you can because General Patton, his uh, third army was right behind us and we were hoping that he would overrun us. So the next morning, the Germans come around, as before daylight, roused, roused, and we got up pretending to go. And they go get another group up, and we lay back down on the ground. Then they'd get us up, and they'd lay back down on the ground. So we, we had them going there for a while. And finally, the German guards, they got all messed up and screaming and shooting and hollering. And, and they went off down the road, all the guards. Captain Wolf called us together, and he said, uh, said you're free to go. He said, I don't have any guards to take care of you, but if you'll stay with me, I'll protect you from the stormtroopers and the Nazis. So most all of us decided to stay with him. We finally, finally got to uh, uh, Mooseburg, Stalagruf 7A. It was a big camp. And I was in, I was in a tent with about 400 men. had straw on the ground. And I heard this noise, and I looked out outside, and I saw an American Jeep come up a road with a white flag. Had a big star on the Jeep. After a while, it went back down. What happened? They come up and asked them, would they surrender the camp? And they refused. About an hour later, here come up the road a bunch of American tanks. And uh, they shot up the camp, and bullets just flying everywhere, and they killed we had one big guard, he must have been seven foot tall, we called him Big Stoop. 
and they killed him. And somebody said they saw a coal pick stuck through his head. Then, when the Patton broke across the right, broke through the fence with his tank, uh, I, I was I had instructions to stay in the camp, but I was wanting I was wanting out and I was wanting something to eat. And I, me and a bunch of Russians went through the fence and uh, went to town. It wasn't very far, a quarter of a mile. And the American tanks were stopping bumper to bumper. And the first tank come by, I asked him if he had anything to eat. And he threw me off his steep hill. He threw me off a can of beans and franks. And it was a tumbling down the hill. And me and two Russians took off after it. And I outrun them and got the, got the beans and franks. And then they took us in uh, to the mess hall. And they took us in to the mess hall, and, and I saw white bread stacked up. And I got me two or three loaves and put it under my shirt. I was, he said, you don't have to do that. There'll be plenty of bread here tomorrow. So I got a mess kit and went through the line. I got a, uh, some mashed potatoes and peas and a big piece of Cuban steak and some gravy and uh, a great big piece of apple pie. I went out and sat down on a, on a table to eat. And I took two bites, only two bites, and I couldn't hold any more of my stomach. I had shrunk up. I hadn't had any food for so long. Then they took me to see some medics, and the medics uh, examined me, got my name and rank, and, and vaccinated me, gave me some shots, and weighed me. I weighed 134 pounds. I'd lost 35 pounds. <laughs> Then they took us out in the field, took all of our clothes and shoes, took them off and put them in a pile, poured gasoline on them, set them on fire. Then they gave us another pair of uniforms. They burnt the clothes. They sprayed us with a white powder. They did that three days in a row. Sprayed us with white powder to kill the uh, body lice and fleas and everything. Then they gave me a partial payment of $20 in French money and put me on a plane. I went to La Havre, France, Camp Lucky Strike. And I stayed there several weeks waiting for a ship to take me back home. And um, finally I got on a Liberty ship and uh, the man came around on the ship and asked, did anyone want anything from the ship store? I had $20, and it was kind of burning a hole in my pocket. I said, do you have any candy? The Germans wouldn't give us any candy. The Red Cross parcels had some, but they would never, they confiscated it. I said, do you have any candy? And he said, yeah, we got candy. I said, how much do you think I can buy? He said, I guess you can buy all you want. I said, uh, well, bring me 24 bars of Hershey's chocolate. And uh, I think we was 12 days of coming across the ocean, and I think I ate two bars each day. We pulled into New York Harbor about 10 o'clock at night, and I remembered what the Germans had said about New York City being devastated, and America was being bombed. And I didn't know whether to believe it or not. So we, when we got to New York Harbor, there was so many ships trying to disbark that we had to drop anchor out in the bay.
I spent a sleepless night walking in the deck of my ship, waiting for it to get daylight so I could see the damage of New York, uh, New York City. When it finally got daylight, I looked at the at the beautiful uh, buildings, sun is shining on them, untouched by the war. Gave me a warm feeling of pride, knowing deep in our heart, our, our motto, in God we trust, was the reason America was so great. I looked to my left and I saw the Statue of Liberty. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Statue of Liberty. But I certainly knew the meaning of liberty. My eyes filled up with tears. I knew that my horrible, terrible ordeal was finally over and I was going home. Thank you. God bless each of you. And God bless America. Brother Hatcher, words can never express our appreciation. Um, every time I, that's, I think that's the third time I've, I've heard uh, you share your testimony, and every time tears well up in my eyes of appreciation, it's as, as though we're seeing it through your eyes all over again, and the appreciation that you had for the United States, knowing that your ordeal was over with, and seeing the Statue of Liberty, and it's it's incredible man's inhumanity to man that's one man could be that cruel and and uh, hard-hearted to to any human being you know i think that's the fabric of united states this country is founded judeo-christian principles whether people like it or not and we still have that uh, god consciousness that can't uh, allow us to to be inhumane and even to our enemies to try to be as compassionate and understanding as possible and for you to endure that harsh reality and to be able to come back to us is, is so refreshing so inspirational and thank you so very very much sir god bless you god bless you uh, now on his table on the table here as he was saying earlier, he has pictures. Took you what fifty some years to get that one picture. Somebody had taken in the village where they and where he was talking about uh, the Jewish uh, American soldier, the navigator, was killed. And somebody in the village took the picture, and he actually has that picture, newspaper articles, all types of things up here. You ought to see. Here's uh, the the picture he's showing that right there. That. Uh, They said, where the navigator is dying, they've got to, they cut his throat and uh, because he was Hebrew. And uh, absolutely incredible. Yes, ma'am. He believed this is the last time he's going to speak. In October. 95 years old. In October. And I think this may be the last time. We are honored. 
we have been honored beyond uh, words. Oh, and the books he has up here, he has some of his books uh, that you would you'd want to get. And like I said, in the foyer out there, you'll see that loaf of bread. And it says a bread, did you already saw that? A loaf of bread for a ring, and a ring for a loaf of bread. No, and I won't, won't make you trade back, sir. Absolutely not. I'm going to close in prayer, and uh, I invite you all to come and look at the things that he has. This may be your last chance to see these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, let us never, come, let us never forget that your word says, Whom you have set free is free indeed. Even though Brother Hatcher was confined to a horrendous and horrific situation, he knew in his heart that he was free because he knew Jesus. Thank you for bringing him home. Thank you for his testimony. Please, God, help this nation to never forget the high cost of freedom and what some, so many have paid, that all paid some and some paid all. And Father, we ask a very special blessing on Brother Hatcher. Pray for your angels about him, holy hedge about him, your hand of anointing upon him. Let him know, Father God, that he has been a mighty tool in the Master's hand. And Father, I pray if anyone knows you not as the Lord and Savior of their life, that they'll pray this prayer I'm about to pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I receive you as my Lord and my God and my personal Savior. Holy Spirit, please fill me to overflowing. Thank you for saving me. Father, keep us now in our going out and coming in and bring us back safely at the appointed time. For these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name and all of God's children said, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, come and see us. I encourage you to come down here and see the items that uh, Brother Hatcher has. Don't forget tonight at 7 o'clock uh, to come back to uh, see these these talented, uh, gifted uh, country music blessings, really. So see you tonight. You are dismissed. God bless you. Any, anybody has a question, he'd be more than happy to answer it.